So what are we looking at? What have we been studying so far? Wait, I thought that was on Sunday. Not 123. Close. We're doing David. We talked about him. That's, yeah, sort of. Psalms. 23. 23. You're very close, Gideon. Or as it is commonly known, the 23rd Psalm, if you want to be fancy. The Psalm of David. Yes, right? So everything kind of clicks together. Oh, I know what we're doing. The one with the sheep. I remember now. Yes, it is the one with the sheep. Does anyone know it by heart? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. <laughs> well, you got the first verse and a half. I was not know the whole thing. Something about still waters. Yup. That's what we're going to talk about today. He leadeth me to still waters. Wow. There's a See, I, I had to memorize this when I was way younger than you guys. Really? Yeah. Is it because of the school you went to? Um, I may have at the other school that I went to. You went to two schools? Fourth and fifth grade, I went to a different Christian school. But I think I had to memorize it with Mrs. Winters and Mrs. Clark. Oh, I never, see, I never had her. Yeah. Well, so let's go to, if you're not already there, Psalm 23. And just like last week, I think it's a good idea. Let's all read it together at the same time because this will help you to remember it. Remember... No, you don't. Maybe Gideon was there. Did you do the virtual youth retreat? No. Oh, we all memorized like... over the virtual youth retreat. We memorized a Norwegian prayer in Norwegian. I memorized the, um, the one we did on my youth retreat. I knew it for like a month. Do you still know? No. <laughs> well, this is your chance to redeem yourself, Phoebe. We're going to work on the 23rd Psalm. All right, are we ready? Does everyone have? Yes. Okay. All together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, very short, right? Just six verses and simple. And now, what are Psalms? Psalms. About? Things. Yes. Godly things. Yes. Parables. Um, okay, some of them do have, like this one, right, is he's using... A shepherd and his sheep as a metaphor. Metaphors. 
So today we're going to look at the second part of verse 2. And it was, he leadeth me beside still water. Levi said we were going to talk about flies. Uh, I think that's later. Flies? No. Because um, one of the things was from, like... Yeah, we talked about all the things that sheep needs to lay down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No friction, no fear, right. no parasites or flies. Um... And what did you talk about the first week? Hint, we did the first part of verse 1. Oh, I think Natalia is the only one who was there. Wait, are we talking about where like, the sheep would like go out of the fence and eat the bad grass? Oh, um... We did talk about a sheep that was trying to get out. That was the I shall not want, right? And that, that sheep didn't rely on the shepherd to take care of all of its needs and instead tried to do things on its own. Um, what about the first part of the verse? Because this is the key to the whole, the entire psalm to understanding it. Yes. Oh, yes. But you guys have been here for a review, at least. Um, I don't know The Lord is my shepherd. Simple, right? Should be a Yes, so if we're sheep. He protects us. Okay, it's more than that. If you have sheep, Whose are they? Mom. If you have them at your house in your pen. They're yours, right? Okay. So if you are a sheep and you say, the Lord is my shepherd. You belong. We, yes, you belong to God. Okay. And by choice, that's a little, what's well, a little bit different because sheep, right? They don't have a choice in who they belong to. That's where it's a little different in how it applies to our lives. But you want to belong to what Jesus later calls himself, the good shepherd. Um, and they, we talked about that at the beginning, that there were sh- are shepherds that are not good shepherds, right? You nod your head like you know. What does a bad shepherd do? Um, he, um, he doesn't protect the sheep. Okay, doesn't protect them. What else doesn't he do? Okay, what are those? Gideon, what would you never do as a shepherd? Since you are a shepherd. Whether you want to be or not. (laughs) Okay, you have to make sure that they have food, right? What else? What else do they need? Clean water. Clean water. Okay, we're going to talk about that tonight. What does every creature need? Shelter. Shelter, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So shelter means shelter from what? (laughs) Weather. Okay, weather is a good one, right? Because um, you talked about this some last week. What scares sheep? 
anything, right? It could be a little rabbit that jumps in their pen or whatever, or thunder and lightning, right? Just if they're out there in it, then they're going to not know what to do. They're going to be afraid. And without the presence of their shepherd, then they can get themselves in bad situations. Okay. Um, so we're going to look at what it means for the sh shepherd to lead his sheep beside still waters tonight. So if you didn't know, water is the key here. Important noun in that sentence. And I was thinking about water and because for us, water, it, we are the most separated probably humans have ever been from the value of water. Everywhere that you go, you can get water. You, if you were thirsty, you could go downstairs. We have cups everywhere in the church and you could fill it up with water and drink it. If you are at school, I don't know if they still have these, but there are drinking fountains yes. everywhere, right? You can, every hall has a drinking fountain. And even now, I don't know if you have them in your school, but like all the colleges have little water bottle refilling stations that you can fill up your water bottle at because the sink wasn't good enough, you know, or the water fountain wasn't good enough. <laughs> so we anywhere you go you can get water and we bottle water everyone carries water in their car they carry water in a bottle you can fill it up anytime anywhere you go so it's hard for us to think about not having water and not having good water to drink everybody how many of you have a well? Or are you on public water? I used to have a well, but not anymore. You're, okay. You have two. <laughs> oh, you do now? Okay. Yeah, I have public water. Good. So, um, have you ever, has your well ever dried up, Natalia, that you know of? I don't think so. That's good. Um, I know some people, even still today, I had a customer that was at her house doing stuff for her, and she was talking about how they, their well is in, can be in danger of going dry. They didn't this year, but they were worried that it might. And when we lived over here growing up on the other East Shelby Road, well, it kind of turns off. It may, turn, makes a 90 there. Anyways, down there in the edge of the swamps, we had sulfur water. That's yeah. what we used. Yeah, it have. smells like eggs. Mm -hmm. And it turns all the silver black. And I never knew any difference, but people who came to our house didn't like to drink the water. <laughs> when it rained, our water would be brown. Oh, yeah. See, there you go. Can, that's where you can get bad water sometimes. So I thought more about this because when I, in the military, I did a special training that was called air assault school, which is basically where they teach you about helicopters 
and they teach you how to ride in a helicopter and how to slide down a rope, which is called rappelling out of a helicopter. And for the school, there's a whole bunch of things that you have to do before you even get to that, like learning how to tie your own Swiss seat, which is like a harness out of one rope and a carabiner clip, and you have to do an obstacle course. And my school was in Fort Knox, Kentucky in the middle of July. And I know some of you have been to the South, even to Kentucky in the summer. And it is very hot and it is very humid. And in the army, they like to do a lot of things not in air conditioning. Our classroom stuff was in air conditioning, but everything else was outside or in the barracks without AC. And the, they made you run and do PT every day, and then they made us march and sometimes run to every training location that we were at. We didn't take a bus anywhere. And the big thing that they made, at the end of the whole training, in order to get your badge for the air assault school in the past, you had to do a 12 mile ruck march, which means you wear, carry a pack on your back along with your body armor and your helmet and your rifle. And you have to do it in three hours, 12 miles, which works out to be about 15 minutes per mile you have to walk it in. You're, you can't run? You can run, oh. but remember you have a, I want to say it's either 30, like a 30 pound pack on your back, plus like 15 pounds of equipment. And you're wearing your pants and your jacket, and it's not in shorts, in like 80 degrees. So a big thing that they talked about the whole time was make sure you hydrate, drink water. And they would actually have um, what they called forced hydration. Have you ever heard that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink? Yeah. Have you ever heard someone say that? Well, you can make people in the army drink. They would have times where they would say, okay, they would make you all go fill up your canteen. And then like 10 minutes later, they'd be like, all right, everybody empty their canteen, meaning drink all of it. And when you're done, hold it empty over your head to show that you drank it all. And they would do that to make sure that people were drinking water because if you don't drink water and you sweat a lot, you can pass out, you can have all types of dehydration um, sicknesses like heat stroke and things like that. And <clears throat> it was, we would also drink like Gatorade and other stuff that they would give you throughout the day. But the main thing they would tell you, they would tell you, do not just drink Gatorade. That's not enough. What, you have to have water, at least twice the amount of water per liquid ounces of Gatorade that you drink. Because nothing beats water as far as hydration. Electrolytes help. And when you did this ruck march, you would go, it, they would start you um, at like four o'clock in the morning. So it's still cool out. 
because that's the coolest part of the day is right before the sun comes up. And you, so you would be doing it in the dark and all you were allowed was this little, really dim, old school, red light flashlight. Red? Have you ever used a red light flashlight? How much can you see with a red flight flashlight? Nothing. So it's you in the dark. You can see a little bit of your gravel trail that you're going on. And there's all kinds of different strategies, but my strategy, there were some things to kind of judge the distance by that you could see that were just black, blacker silhouettes of like telephone poles. And I would try to run like two telephone poles and then walk one, like the distance between them. And at each point, every, I think it was every three miles, there would be a water point where they would make you drink one of your two canteens, drink all of it. Because they did not want you to pass out and get hurt. They kept, they want, they said, yeah, you can, we're putting you through hard stuff, but we want to make sure that you're still taken care of. When you do stuff like that, you appreciate water. Have you ever worked on a really hot day, really hard, and then the best thing, what feels the best is just a cold drink of water. That's what you want sometimes. Even for me, sometimes if I go out for ice cream, I want water afterwards. Sometimes when it's like a hot day because ice cream doesn't quench your thirst. It tastes really good and feels good on a hot day. But at the end, sometimes you're like, I just need some water because I need that. So David, um, we can not go very long without water. Do you know how long you can go? Um, three days. Three days is about, some people have gone a little bit longer, but three days is what is the standard length of time you can go. And in the more harsh the conditions, like doing that ruck march, air assault school or if you're working really hard in the sun the more you need that water because you're expelling more of it and David knew very well how refreshing good water can be especially how essential it was to his sheep it's one of the first things that he lists as something that his shepherd provides for him he said after the pastures is the refreshing, good water. And especially in an arid climate. Do you know what an arid climate is? Have you heard that word before? Is it like, it sounds like arid would sound like, like somewhere cold, but I think it's somewhere warm. Um, it can be somewhere cold because there are like, um, frozen deserts. Cause like you know, it, like when you go outside and it's really cold, and like your face gets all cold, and then you breathe in, and it kind of hurts breathing because it's so cold outside. That feels like it would be. So it can be cold. It is not quite a desert. So deserts are can be part of an area that's arid, but think about um, like some place out southwest like 
say Southern California or think of like Italy or Turkey or Greece, places where it's kind of dry. They do get rainfall usually in the winter, but it can it is also very dry in the summer. It's not like around here where we get rain all the time. Everything is bright green uh, throughout our spring and summer and into the fall. It's not like that. It's somewhere where water is can be scarce. So David, if he wants his sheep to do well, he has to find water for them every day. Every day he's got to lead them somewhere to water. The only time, which this is an interesting thing that Keller in this book talks about that had sheep for like 20 plus years. He says that your sheep can go many weeks without being taken to water as long as there is dew on the grass in the morning and even before it's light out and they can eat when they eat the grass, they drink the dew at the same time off of the grass. He said, that's the best if you can find, if you have those days, but if you don't, then you have to bring them to good water. Um, so if, what do you think happens if the shepherd does not lead them to water? Sheep will die. Before that. They'll get sick. Before that. They'll be thirsty. And what do you do when you're thirsty? Drink water. You find water, right? They will try to find their own water if you don't give them water. What kind of water might they find on their own? Muddy water. Dirty puddles. And this is not from my experience because I don't have sheep experience. But this is from uh, Philip Keller's experience. He says that Sheep will even drink from dirty puddles that have been tainted, tainted with fecal matter. Do you know what fecal matter is? Yeah. Like poop and pee, sewage. They will drink that. My sheep don't even care though because we fill their water and it's always nice and clean. And then if it rains, they'll drink out of a muddy puddle even though they have clean water. Right. <laughs> exactly. You must have trained your sheep very well. <laughs> They're dumb in the other direction. <laughs> okay. So we also, now if they do that, that's going to make them sick, right? You can't drink, I mean, maybe a little bit. They might be able to be all right with it. But eventually that kind of thing will make them sick because there are little prions and micro, microbiotic organisms that can make you sick if you drink that kind of stuff, get, give you worms, things like that. And we also thirst and have a longing in our soul. Our spirits are made in a special way that cause us to have this thirst. 
where we thirst after something that we need. And that is that we need a connection to a true and real relationship. We seek friendship. We seek um, family relationships. We seek to be, to know other people and to be known by them, right? You like to share things, not with, you don't like, nobody likes to share everything with everybody. Might seem like some people are like that, but even they have things that they only share with certain people, but we have a desire to do that. Um, let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 7. We're going to look at something that Jesus did. Verse 37 is where we're going to start. Wait, what chapter? 7. 737. Like the plane. Oh, that's 747. Shoot. There's a plane? 747. Never mind. It's like the big... You might have flown on one to Florida. I flew on um, Southwest. It's the that's type of... It's the model of the plane, like a Ford F-150. It's a Boeing 747. I can't remember. It said on the little thing that we got. We got a little thing. Well, we won't get too distracted. Okay, so this is Jesus. And he, this is at the end of a feast. He is in the temple and he gets up in front of everybody. He, he's watching them do something. And this is what he says. We'll get to what he's doing. Verse 37 through 39. Let's read those. In the last day, that, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. Seven thirty-eight. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, so what does Jesus say to? He, and it says he cried. That means he yelled it as loud as he could to everybody in the temple. You know how big the temple is? Do you have an idea? Yes, it's very big. Like, give me an idea. Well, I've only seen... <laughs> okay, it's bigger than our parking lot down there. Wow. Okay, it... it um, I believe if I'm remembering, and it's all paved, okay, and there's like walls around the whole area, and there's different courts and things. And in that area, they have um, an altar, and they have been performing sacrifices by it. This, and there is a certain sacrifice that is done here at the end of it, 
And I want to turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Hold your spot in John 7, but turn to Leviticus 23. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Oh, it's way before. Leviticus 23, verse 37. Leviticus is where many of the rules that Moses was given by God and ways that they were going to run their lives are written down. Um, Okay, so this is, Moses is telling them about feasts that they are going to do and this is the feast specifically that is being done when Jesus gets up to speak. Um, Gideon, can you go ahead and read verse 37? These are the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall re- proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering and a meat offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything upon this day. Okay, what was that last offering? A drink offering. What might that be? Wine. Sometimes it was wine. Yep. And he did one when they got back because he said that their lives were too precious for him to waste it and he wasn't worthy of drinking it. So he poured out the water to God. So they did this. At, they would do drink offerings and, some, and off, they would do wine, as you guys said, but they would also do water where they would pour out water onto the ground. And... Have you heard, do you know that? I'm blanking on the actual name of the song, but the song where it talks about um, they will, that he will pour water upon the dry ground. You recall that? <laughs> well, that's referring to this specific um, action that's being done here. I'll have to get back to you on it because all I can think of is that line from it. And I, I couldn't sing the tune well enough for you to know it. Um, so he says this as they have these huge pitchers that they're pouring the water right onto the ground. And because it's an arid climate, it just soaks it right up out of the ground. And he shouts out, Back in John chapter 7, he said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And everyone hears him say this, or many people. And there were probably people in that crowd that that really struck a chord with them. That that really hit home in their heart where they felt hollow. They felt felt a desire that they wanted and he is telling them if you thirst for something I can give that to you as they're watching that water being poured out and soaked up by the ground and he's actually referring to a familiar passage we're going to turn again to another place to Isaiah Isaiah Jeremiah right there in the center 
Isaiah 55. It's a big book. You should be easy to find. Right there, verse 1. Okay, is it after John? Uh, yes. Isaiah 55, and we'll read verses 1 through 5. Again, this is about thirsting after something. So everyone... That means listen. ...that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, that he hath no money. Come ye buy and eat. Ye come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfies not? Hearken. Yep, means listen. Diligently unto which unto me, and eat ye which that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. Here in your last soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the shared mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee. Because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified thee. Okay, this is some really deep poetry that Isaiah writes here. Who is Isaiah talking about? David. He mentions David in it. Who's a descendant of David? Jesus. Jesus. Okay, he's talking. This is a prophecy talking about that Jesus is going to come, and that last verse says that people that from nations that you don't even know about yet, like Rome and Greece that aren't around yet, they're going to run to Israel to find out about Jesus. Because Jesus is going to do what for people? It's right there in the first three verses that tells you what Jesus is going to do for them, for people. Have you ever bought something with no money? No. Have you, Gideon? Right, because if you didn't buy it, it was given to you, right? <laughs> you can't buy something unless you don't give something for it, right? And the, he's trying to explain through this poetry that if you want something, if you desire things, but you have no way to attain, obtain it, no way to get it, that somebody is coming that will quench that thirst that you have that cannot be quenched. And Jesus is quoting that in a way when he says, if you thirst, 
come to me and drink. Just like in that verse 55, ho, everybody, or listen up, pay attention, everyone who thirsts, and come to me. <clears throat> now, they were doing what they were supposed to be doing with this drink offering, right? We just read it in Leviticus. They're supposed to be doing that for this feast. Why, why would Jesus say, if you're thirsty, come to me? This would be like if, some, if Jesus were, which is totally different, but imagine somebody interrupting our service at church with something like that. Just getting up and saying something. It would seem weird, right? You'd be like, well, you're not supposed to do that. We're having a service here, right? That would seem inappropriate. And they're doing all these this sacrifices, this feast, but there are people in the crowd that feel empty. What's the problem? Because this feast that they're having, the sacrifices the drink offerings, the heave offerings, those are supposed to fulfill them, right? Why aren't they? Because they don't actually have the spirit in them, they're just pretending. Um, maybe for some of them. They're, you're on the right track. Do you ever do something and your heart's not in it? You're doing it because you have to, or maybe even worse, you feel like you should do it, but you don't really want to do it. Okay. That's a problem, right? It can be. So I want you to think again about this. We've talked about this in the past. God modeled us after who? He made us, okay, what's the word, the wording that's used in the Bible? In Genesis, it says, God made man in his image, okay, that's the wording that's used. If it's after himself, that means the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, if you, there's the Father and the Son, what do they have together? If you have three personalities, these three sort of individuals, what do they have among each other? What do you have with your parent? What do they call that? A relationship, right? You're related oh. to them. <laughs> so the, the Trinity has a relationship, right? Among all of them. They love one another. They're united together. And we are modeled after that where we need relationships. Okay? They're the people, and we're getting kind of deep here, but the people in Jesus' time, just like in many times, it's not like it's uncommon throughout history, but especially in then, do you think they had a good relationship with their religious, their 
they weren't called pastors, but they're pastors, they're the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Do you think they had good relationships with them? Are you sure? None of them? There was not one good one. Maybe. Maybe a few of them. A few of them, right? We know of some of them, like Nicodemus was someone who was actually searching for the truth, right? Do you know Nicodemus? I know Nicodemus. He went and saw Jesus in the middle of the night, and he was told he had to be born again. You have people like, um, he, and he ended up being one who asked for Jesus' body to bury it later, right? Um, so there are some that are good, but in general, they don't have very much of a good relationship with their religious leaders who are supposed to be their connection to God. So they don't have the relationship that their heart is searching for with God. Um, I was going to turn here, but I'm just, I'm just going to turn here and not have you guys turn here quick. We're going to go way back again. It's in the same line. We're still looking at sacrifices because sacrifices are how people connected with God until Jesus came. This was the way he made it to happen. Do you know um, what's the first sacrifice recorded? Do you know that? Is it when... um... Oh, in um, Genesis. Yes. When they sacrificed animals to wear the skin of Jesse's skin. Okay, yep. So God performed the first. How about the next one recorded? Do you know that one? It's on Abraham. No, he's way later. Yes, it's Cain and Abel. Now there were certainly were ones before this. Wait, for sure. The sacrifice. Well, no, not not Abel. No, no, no. But he's talking about we're. You'll see in a second. Certainly, Adam and Eve had been performing sacrifices. That's how Cain and Abel knew about it. Oh, when when um, Abel brings. Yes, so Abel brings sheep to God and offers a sacrifice, and God says. If you boil it down, he said, good job. I accept your offering. Cain brings his offering of fruits and vegetables, and God does not accept it. Says, I don't know what he said. It doesn't really say. It just says they didn't accept it. Essentially, that's not. He essentially said, that's not quite right. You need to do it differently. What was the problem? Was it with Cain's sacrifice? Oh. Hmm? No. No, it was because... No, what was the problem with it? He didn't bring his best fruits. No, he did bring his best fruits. He didn't really believe in it because of his heart. Yes. Maybe, right? It does, doesn't say that, but maybe, right? That could have been a reason. It, whatever it is, he, it wasn't from the heart. It wasn't him trying to please God. He wasn't trying to have a relationship with God. And that's what leads him eventually to 
being jealous of Abel and killing him. Escalated quickly, right? So this is to illustrate that God looks at the heart. We jump back ahead to John in Jesus' time where, again, there's people that they know that there's something missing. They're desiring more. They're thirsting after something. Um, and it's interesting because what when God goes and talks to Cain, he says to him, um, he says, God says to Cain, why are you wroth or why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? And God says to him, if you do well, won't you be accepted? He says, just, just try again. Try it again. Pay attention. Try to do what is good. And so we have... So let me ask you this. We're talking about this desire, this thirst that you have. Why do you have that thirst for a relationship? Why is there a void, a hole in your spirit? How did it get there? We were made to be with God. Yes. And... There's sin, right? Sin is, puts up a wall between us and God. It builds a separation between us that has to be moved out of the way, has to be destroyed and dealt with. And of course, as you all know, that Jesus is that way. God provided that way for us. But you have to be willing to drink that water that he offers, right? You, do you all know the story of the woman at the well that Jesus meets? Yes. And Jesus says, I offer you living water. And she's like, well, I'll take that. That sounds great that I will never thirst again. Now, that, is, that there is a metaphor for salvation, right? The salvation of Jesus but there's more to the water metaphor than that. Because, like we said, how often do you need water? Every day. Every day. Like, right now, I'm thirsty. I will probably get something to drink when I'm done. Like, that's how often we need water. I drank, like, two hours ago. And I say, oh, I'm thirsty again already. You need it constantly. And that's the other picture of this water, that you have to keep coming back to the shepherd no matter the trials or what's going on to be satisfied. But so many times when things get hard, when we don't want to put the effort into reading our Bible, to prayer, to being in contact with Jesus, that we try to search to be satisfied somewhere else. We try to find that water, that meaning in something else. And we find ourselves wandering and wondering why we feel restless. Maybe you feel a numbness to things, feeling dragged down, 
and it's because we're drinking out of a tainted puddle. We're drinking poor water that's not good. So here's the thing. Even if you drank the good water most of the time, how many times do you have to drink out of the puddle to get sick? One. Can just be one time, right? You might take a chance and get away with it a few times, but the more you drink out of it, the worse it's going to be. The shepherd can only bring you to the water. He can do everything that he can, but in the end, you have to decide to drink, right? It's not like the army where they can force hydration. You're more like a horse where you have to choose to drink or like Gideon's sheep that just don't want to drink anything unless it's perfect, right? In the end, the shepherd will do everything that he can, but the choice does lie with you. And he will go through every length to give it to you. But sometimes we can't even see how good it is. There's one interesting story in this book that he talks about with the water, that he was in Africa and he saw shepherds there. And they had, because it's a very dry where he was, where they would dig a hole in the ground, in the rock, and have like ramps going down, like a hole bigger than this house, down in. And in the bottom was the well, was the water. And there were water troughs. But because of the effort to dig the ramps down there, that they would lead the sheep down there, and they would only get them so close to the water. And then he watched the shepherds would take a bucket and bale water out into a trough out of this well, just over and over and over and constantly and constantly, constantly as they're dripping sweat to try to get enough water for their sheep. And then they'd take them back out and take them somewhere to eat. That they'd have to do that sometimes daily to do that. And that's what Jesus is trying to do with us in our lives. Sometimes we're not even aware of all that he is doing, that he is um, orchestrating, causing things to cross our paths in our lives to give us what we need, to bring us closer to him. But he is always working towards that for us. All right, we will go on and look at another verse next week. Thank you, guys.